Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. It's another Sunday edition of the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast, a Super Bowl Sunday edition. So Julian, before we get into the hockey talk, which is not necessarily the most positive stuff, uh, what is the Super Bowl tradition in the McKenzie household, uh, I guess, pre-COVID or, you know, maybe during COVID? What, what, what do you got planned today? What's going on? This is wild. This is going to be the first year I will be home for the Super Bowl. And on top of that, I will be working at the same time as the Super Bowl is going on. I, I, I freelance with uh, the Canadian Press Newswire. So I will be actively watching the Super Bowl for work, which I don't think has mm. ever happened before. Uh, so it's weird. I don't really have necessarily a home tradition, but normally like I'm, I'm either out at a bar with friends watching the game or I'm at a house party uh, just watching the Super Bowl. So this is going to be pretty weird in COVID times to kind of just be in a room by myself just watching the Super Bowl. Not that the circumstances are normal, but I think you're pretty lucky actually to only have had to work one Super Bowl or this is your first Super Bowl because it's sort of like a rite of passage in sports media. If you get into sports media, you're going to miss quite a few Super Bowl parties because... They need people on the desk. So, uh, I mean, you're not going to miss anything, obviously, because we're not having Super Bowl parties this year. Uh, so this is probably a good year to bite the bullet, I guess. I guess, yeah. In a, in a, in a, I almost, you know what's funny? You know, have you seen those people who call the pandemic some kind of random name, like Panoramic or 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 um, uh, Panorama? Have you ever, you ever seen those on Twitter, those people who, who call the pandemic by a different name? No, you're going to have to fill me in on this one. Okay, so... I know like months ago, one of the rappers, uh, Gunna, uh, did like a random video where he just see him kind of outside just chilling. And instead of saying we're in a pandemic, he says we're in a panoramic. And like everyone just like wrote off that video. And now every now and then I'll just see people write like, man, we're 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 in a Pentagon. Like, what are you doing? You can't be wilding in this in these times. Like we're, we're, we're in a we're in a hexagon. Like, what are you doing? Like, it's it's a weird joke thing. But uh, maybe it's like a. Maybe it's like one of those kind of sub Twitter culture things that only like a certain faction of people get. But I say that because I almost <laughs> called it a panoramic. It almost happened. I feel like while you were telling that story, you could see it like flying directly over my head because. I oh, I saw it. I saw it. You're just like, this is this is like like Bobani Jones has this thing. The ESPN guy, he says, like, there's two mm -hmm. Americas. This is like two, maybe not two Americas. This is definitely two solitudes kind of coming in with that. Well, it's been a tough start for me to this podcast, but it does pale in comparison to the NHL's week because it was a no good, awful, very bad week for the NHL. Uh, and I didn't want to have the COVID conversation until we had to. 
Uh, but we kind of have to now because it was a week that was marred by uh, cancellations, postponements, uh, infections, all the bad things that happen or are associated with COVID-19 sort of happened to the NHL this week. We had three teams shut things down uh, with, I guess, is the Buffalo Sabres, New Jersey Devils, and Minnesota Wild joining the Vegas Golden Knights as organizations that had to postpone games due to COVID-19 outbreaks. 90 players now have hit the COVID list. The NHL's tried to spin this saying, you know, only a fraction have been ill. But the NHL's COVID list doesn't include, you know, coaches, staff, players, families. Uh, so obviously a bad week, a week that's made us reflect about um, whether or not the NHL should be playing, whether or not the NHL is taking the, you know, the appropriate uh, steps towards being safe and playing a season during a pandemic. Uh, are you feeling any worse, any any less optimistic about the NHL's chances of getting this season in based on what happened this week? Or is this just always in the cards that we we're going to have to go through these bumps in the road and eventually we will see the finish line? I, I led to believe that when the NHL decided that they were going to have a season, what we're experiencing right now is essentially the bed that they decided they were going to lay in as far as I'm concerned. I think that if the, the talk about not playing during a pandemic has long passed the station, you know, uh, we, we already went through it, it last fall, last summer with the postseason bubble. And then when mm -hmm. the NHL said, all right, we're going to go through with this regular season, the talk of, of trying to shut everything down, uh, that pretty much went out the window. And also when you see leagues like the NBA still trying to play through a pandemic, pandemic even though they've kind of you know I, I still can't believe the fact they're trying to even have an all-star game throughout all yeah. of this which i think is yeah. ridiculous in the nfl uh, they're just i mean later today they're going to have a super bowl and, and play through an entire season where even though they postponed a few games uh they still were able to get a full season and every broadcaster in the nfl through some measure of faction almost every week tried to let you know that uh, hey the nfl everything is on schedule so for the nhl to, to be that league uh that says hey we're gonna have to shut down because of the pandemic i don't even think that's an option for them at this point and considering the fact as well some of the reasons we, we were bringing up for why the nhl could even play in the first place i mean there's the tv contract as well there's there's a lot of money kind of riding on this and the nhl already decided that they're kind of it, it's in their business model to kind of play at this point this is essentially it's it sucks to say for all these COVID cases this is something that is part of this is the consequence of them playing. It's something that they probably expected would happen. Yeah, and I think it's going to take something far more drastic for a bigger decision to be made because right now they've, you know, they've built in a little bit of room at the end of the schedule so that they can play these games. They can force the teams that have uh, had disruptions to their schedule to play back-to-backs or back-to-back-to-backs. Uh, they're going to have to jam everything in really tight, and I think that's they're still going to be able to avoid the op the 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 you know possibility of you know teams not playing the full 56 game schedule and you just going by points percentage which i don't think is necessarily a terrible thing i think uh all things considered you know the way let's say the canadian division is shaping up and i think a lot of divisions are sort of shaping up in this regard there's already a lot of space between teams so if you if you get to the point where the point percentages are so out of whack and it's so clear who's going to get there you don't necessarily have to make uh, the Minnesota Wild, who might be so far out of a playoff spot by then, even though they've been okay, um, 
you might not have to make them make up those games because the points percentage is pretty clear which team should should get through to the postseason. I actually don't think it's going to get that far. I think this is a reminder that teams have to be more diligent. I think this is something that almost needed to happen for them to really get things sorted out because it's really the what is important. The 90 players being on, you know, the COVID list is important. Ralph Kruger getting sick is important. But what's really, really important for the NHL and getting through the season is the how. And they made some mistakes here, clearly. I mean, Buffalo was apparently furious because they saw this coming. They saw the situation coming where they were entering a super spreader event. They reported it to the NHL, the NHLPA. The NHLPA didn't do its job. And the game went forward. They were worried about the New Jersey Devils having COVID-19 positive um, players on the other side. Uh, And now a 61-year-old man, their coach, Ralph Kruger, has the virus. So this is a reminder that if there are red flags, then you have to respond accordingly. And the NHL has made some slight additions. I mean, they added some additional preventative measures, uh, which include removing the glass behind the bench. Uh, It's, you know, to increase airflow. This is what they are. It's to increase airflow and to limit physical distance or limit, you know, the the lack of social distancing at the rink. So they tried to say, you know, you can only come an hour and 45 minutes before the game, but that was kind of pushed back. And But they're now saying, you know, let's use more dressing rooms. This is stuff that should have happened before, right? You should have had probably a couple dressing rooms, minor hockey days where the defense gets changed in one room, the forwards get changed in the other days in the other room. That would have been easy. Uh, and this is something they're going to try to do. But the other thing is they're going to try to increase the air filtration systems by just making them better so you're going to just try and get more of an outdoor feel inside an arena or inside a closed space so this is stuff that should have happened before this is probably just sort of meager steps in the right direction because if players or coaches have it they're probably going to spread it but this is just a reminder that players have to do better and players have to and teams have to do what frankly the canadian teams are doing because there hasn't been a positive case in canada and the canadian government made sure that the nhl teams in canada took additional measures so adopt those additional measures you would think is how you're going to get the league to be in a safer spot and i think that's what they have to look at it air filtration you know that could be great but what you need to do is look at what the canadian teams are doing because they've found a way to make sure that they can play these games safely and that's what the nhl should be tuning into absolutely um i mean i i I don't i don't think that any team since the washington capitals debacle has been as reckless with it but that's essentially what they're gonna have to do they're gonna have to look at the canadian teams as as a model i'm still pretty amazed uh i know the vancouver canucks kind of had a scare during training camp earlier in the year but i'm still Mm -hmm. kind of amazed that by the looks of things no cases have really popped up in, in in canada it's almost kind of impressive to me the fact that guys are just able to say hey you know what let's just we go to our games, we go straight to the hotel after, or if we get to go home, we go home. Uh, I, I think that's a bit, I don't want to say impressive, but I, I'm i just kind of intrigued at the fact that it's just worked so well here in Canada. Maybe it's just because of the fact that, you know, we do have different cases varying from province to province, but it's not nearly as frequent as it's been in the United States, where obviously they have more more people in the country, right? Uh, I, I'm, yeah. I'm a bit surprised at that. Um, I'll say for, for the States, though, uh, I, I find with these different teams and, and, and the way just COVID kind of spreads, like I know we harped on the, on the Washington Capitals and how it happened here, but I, I'm still just like, I feel like t- teams and players, they could, they could still do as best as they can and it could still spread, right? Like how many of these players have families where their kids can still go to school and their kids could get it and then they come back with the virus and then who knows, right? Like it's just, 
it's mm-hmm. a bit of a difficult situation to ma- to navigate in terms of COVID, especially in the states. And and I, again, with with how Canadian teams have handled handled it, I'm pretty surprised that it's gotten to a point it hasn't been as much of a problem as it's been with U.S. based teams. But it's still something that you know tomorrow something could just happen and then everything just kind of goes out of whack. Well, it's it's going to take. I think in Canada, like you mentioned, it's easy for this disease to spread, and I think that or this virus to spread, and I think that's true. But I think it would be difficult—not difficult, but it would be—you'd have to take yourself out of your normal, regular routine or how you should be living in Canada for it to be a problem. Because if you know, with all the restrictions, you can't do certain things or many things in this world in Canada right now, and that's obviously contributing. I mean, kids aren't going to school right now, at least where I am. And so you don't have that impact, but most of these guys are young anyway. Most of them don't have, you know, uh, a lot of them have kids, but not all of them have kids. But there's, I, I think it's the additional stuff that you're allowed to do in the United States probably that's contributing to it that's because it. you can't control what every staff or what every coach, what every player is doing. But in Canada, there are only so many options. You pretty much can only go to the rink and go home, go to your workplace, go to home. And normally your workplace is just where you're living in Canada because there's just the simple fact that everything else is shut down. So, I mean, you can't tell if you're the NHL, you can't tell these states how to run. You can't tell the U.S. government how to do things. But you have to tell your players that this is the only acceptable thing is to go to the rink and go home. And you got to figure out a way to make life easier for them, whether it's getting groceries, whether it's running errands, et cetera, et cetera, because it's just too much of a liability if the players and their families are getting into the public space because you can't control the public space. Yeah, uh, thank you for for illustrating that really good point with, with Canada as well. Like, I mean, in, in Quebec right now, there's there's slowly. I know that we have the curfew still in place, which has actually led to a decrease in cases. But as far as I'm concerned, I think they're trying to slowly have people go back to schools, which it's kind of a weird thing going on in Quebec. And you're right, like different provinces and different states have different things. But you, you're absolutely right. I think the restrictions that we have here in Canada, thankfully. Uh, have led to fewer transmission and and as opposed to what's going on in the states where a few things are a bit more loose and a bit more open so it's on the teams at this point to kind of police themselves and and make sure that they don't have a repeat of the washington capital situation or they don't have any other freak thing that could happen that could possibly derail their their season i'm trying to think like i'm trying to remember the team that has to play like the st louis blues like six consecutive times because of postponed games right like that's Mm -hmm. that's what some of these teams kind of have to deal with right now a lot can happen in three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I think it's yeah, and you mentioned, like, you mentioned how, like, you know, it's, it's probably not a big deal that the Washington Capitals got in the hotel room together, and it probably isn't that big of a deal. But you mentioned the ease to which this trans this virus is transmitted. I mean, seventeen players on the New Jersey Devils on the COVID list. Not oh, all of them are on. Not all of them are on because they you know came into contact with someone with COVID or have COVID themselves. 
but that is over half their team is on the COVID list right now because it spreads so easily. So it's it just underscores, again, the Capitals thing, put a little underscore under how diligence is key. But this, what happened this week over anything, really highlights the point that if you're not going to take this seriously, if you're not going to follow the rules, if you're not going to put yourself in your own bubble, then you're not going to have a season. You're not going to have games, and, and your team's going to be in a very tough spot. Uh, and you know maybe this is the year where it doesn't matter that much because things are so out of whack, and, and this doesn't feel as much like an NHL season as others, but the prize is still there at the end. The you know There's going to be a playoffs. The season is going to get to its finish line. How messy it is will be determined uh, coming up here, uh, but the, the, the NHL is going to get there, and they're going to crown a champion, and again, if teams take it seriously, they're in the best position to take advantage of this opportunity. Uh, talked about how it was a no good, awful, very bad week for the NHL. It was the same for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, four straight losses. You and I had our eyes on all four of those losses if we combined our eyeballs because <laughs> they lost two in Montreal and they lost two in Toronto. They're going to complete their three-game set with the Maple Leafs and they probably need to win that one uh, tomorrow night or Monday night. Um, but this was a really, really tough look for the Vancouver Canucks who had looked as though they turned their season around with a three-game sweep of the Ottawa Senators. Um, but when you take out those Senators games, they're almost being outscored 2-1 to one on the season. I believe the goals for versus against is 57-32 to 32 if you take out those three routes of the Ottawa Senators, which was supposed to get their season kick-started. Clearly, it hadn't. Um, what are you seeing right now from Vancouver? Is this just a team that is going through the motions that basically has no chance in this division, despite it being kind of weak? Uh, is there any hope right now for Vancouver or is this going to end, you know, is this going to quickly go up in flames here on us? I mean, I've never seen, I don't know how much you follow uh, people on Vancouver Canucks Twitter. That fan base on Twitter right now is just, I've never seen a fan base so disheartened, so sad, and so just like willing to rip their hair out. It's so frustrating yeah. for them because they had such a promising playoff bubble. They had all these different pieces. And now, as the regular season starts, they have to deal with the fact that Louis Erickson is still on their team with the contract that he has. And Tyler Toffoli, who may or may not have wanted less money, is torching it with the Montreal Canadiens, including, you know, yeah. eight goals against the Vancouver Canucks, which is absolutely insane to Be me. Before and Austin Matthews got two against Vancouver, Ooh. I think I think Toffoli's eight goals would have against Vancouver would have led the entire NHL compared to everybody else, which is absolutely insane that you can do it against one team. You can take the league scoring title against one team uh, and it's your old team. Pretty remarkable. And, and I'll say this about Austin Matthews, uh, the goal that he scored uh, past Jalen Chatfield where Jalen Chatfield is basically a sitting duck. You know, a defense, you're supposed to keep your feet moving. This dude literally is just standing in one spot and, Austin Matthews blows by him like a turnstile. It's pretty encompassing of how this season has gone for the Vancouver Canucks. They're yeah. just a team that's just kind of stuck in this rut. And even though they have the the young nucleus that they have, especially at forward, their defense is not that good. Braden Holtby has just been so-so to start off uh, this season. He looked like that's another guy who looked like a, a shell of himself over the weekend. This Vancouver Canucks team, unfortunately, is starting to realize that their team may not be as well-constructed as they might have thought it was, and it, it, they're taking themselves out here. And you mentioned, you know what, hey, it looked as if they turned their season around with, with three wins over the Ottawa Senators. 
the Ottawa Senators, we've kind of deduced here, they're going to be a bit of a punching bag with how their year is going to go. I know the Canadians had a bit of a tough time with them over the weekend, but the Ottawa Senators are not in it to make the playoffs. They're they're not built to make the playoffs. And unfortunately, if if Vancouver kind of keeps this up, they're going to be chilling with Ottawa in the offseason while everyone else is in the playoffs. That's what it's looking like for them, unless they get some kind of help on defense, as far as I'm concerned. That's that's a weak part for them. But their, their salary cap kind of, I mean, if, if correct me if I'm wrong, they're, they're pretty much hugging up against the salary cap here. It's going to be a bit tough oh, yeah. for them to do anything. Yeah, I mean, I think you you mentioned you touched on it a few times the defense, and I think you're honestly being as nice as you could. I mean, this core right now is shambolic. Like it it is so so bad. You mentioned what they did against the Vegas Golden Knights. How did the Vegas Golden Knights not torch them last year based on what they have on defense this year? And you mentioned Austin Matthews. Like it was like free pickings for him. What he was doing, what he's done in the last two games of Vancouver, because they have no, they have nothing to resist all-star players and all-star players is what defines this Canadian division. That's why they're getting torched every night because their defense can't ha- can't hold up against such good players and such immense talents that the North division has. I mean, Alexander Edler, he looks ancient right now. Tyler yeah. Myers looks unfit to play in this division. They're both getting exposed every night. You mentioned Jalen Chatfield and Austin Matthews. He looks like a mess. Like he doesn't look like he belongs in the NHL surely over the last two. And are we sure Ole Ulevi can't play over Jalen Chatley? Chatfield like really like this it is so bad right now on the defense core and Nate Schmidt hasn't helped them at all even though he's supposed to be that one guy you could rely on and yes Quinn Hughes has the points but he's had his fair share of struggles too like the the defense is the one thing right now that it just stands out like a sore thumb and it's terrible and it's killing the Vancouver Canucks who can't get on track and are now infighting it doesn't even it doesn't even involve their defensive core you have Brayden Holmey and JT Miller arguing on the ice like just from a defensive standpoint they're in complete disarray and it was advertised as a down season right they were supposed to take their lumps a little bit after showing so much progress because there's a bit of a cap crunch happening this year and the, so they were supposed to take the step back before next year. Money comes off the books. We can take a real run at it. And sure, Brennan Sutter, Tanner Pearson, Edler comes off, and that might be an addition by subtraction based on how he's played. But you also have to pay Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson and to a lesser extent, I guess, Thatcher Demko next season. So how much money is really going to be at your disposal to improve what is a clearly flawed roster next year? You're basically just going to have the opportunity to pay the guys that are that have been the ones that are outperforming their contracts more than anyone. And we know that's so important in the NHL to have players that outperform their contracts next year. They might not have anyone who's outperforming their contract other than Niels Hoaglander, uh, who was recently demoted to the third line. It seems so uh, I think things are just catastrophically bad right now for Vancouver, who doesn't look like they have any chance of competing for a playoff spot. They don't look interested in competing for a playoff spot. And I don't think things are going to get any better next year unless they really change something about the way they're constructed constructed that puts the focus on Jim Benning who's taking all the heat as you mentioned from Vancouver Canucks Twitter right now so I mean is that the move for this team is that the only recourse for the Vancouver Canucks to put something someone new in that chair because of how poorly mismanaged it seems this season has been and the sort of naive naivety it's hard to say naivety the naive nature of what's going on with this team thinking that in two years time they're going to be okay because money's coming off the books when really it's going to be filled up just like that. I, that's a really interesting question here. Like whoever, what you, whether it's Jim Benning or whether it's someone else who has to go in here, they need to deal with the fact that too much of their money is tied into third, fourth line guys and, and 
and it's not working out for them. Honestly, one of the biggest mistakes that 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 Jim Benning did, and I mentioned Tyler Toffoli again. I don't even, I don't even think Tyler Toffoli might have gone off as as well as he has so far. The Montreal Canadiens, if he stayed with Vancouver, but just having a good depth second third line guy who can score, that's easily a good piece that makes that puts the Vancouver Canucks over the top here. The fact that you did that, that you don't retain Tyler Toffoli that in itself is is just kind of mind-blowing and on top of that you, you keep a Jake Vertanen who has still just kind of been kind of so-so since he's gotten into the league uh, there's other pieces as well you can go into the fact Louis Erickson I kind of mentioned him before the Vancouver Canucks are just essentially just gonna have to live with that contract here uh, whether I mean if you're the Aquilinis you're the ownership in, in Vancouver you're looking at Jim Benning right now and you're saying you have all season to fix this mess. I don't know if replacing him right now, this very minute is the thing that you do. I think if you look at Jim Benning right now, he has until the end of this season to fix this financial mess. Even if the Vancouver Canucks miss the playoffs, you know, if, if the team is kind of staring down too difficult of a situation with, with retaining some of their younger players, Jim Benning then has to go. But if Jim Benning finds a way to, to, to get some salary off the books. And even if his team isn't able to get to the playoffs, I mean, he still puts himself in a decent position going forward. That's a whole other thing. But if if you're the owners in, in Vancouver right now, Jim Benning has until the end of this season to fix this mess. And if he doesn't do it, he should leave. Yeah, I think you have to see progress because as much as everyone's been talking about, oh, okay, next year, you know, money comes off, we're going to make those changes and we're going to be a better team. It's not really until the year after that meaningful money comes off the books. And you have to settle into obviously an era in which Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson are getting paid. But the, the real opportunity lies in 2022-23 when Louis Erickson is off the books. When Edler's already off the books already, obviously. Roussel off the books. Beagle off the books. Vertanen will be a restricted free agent. Uh, that is when they can truly make hay, when all these anchors come off their roster. And if you're the Vancouver Canucks, you have to decide, I think by the end of the season before you know moves are made this offseason before drafts happen before the expansion draft before then you have to figure out if Jim Benning's going to be in charge in two years when the opportunity truly awaits the Vancouver Canucks when these bad contracts come off the books so you know it's going to take a year to prepare for that and you got to decide now or sooner than later if you're going to have Jim Benning in charge when the opportunity really is there in 22-23 and I, I think the way that they're going you can't make an argument for Benning taking or keeping the reins beyond that. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I think if you're in a, you can't do that. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut that off. No, no, you're no, you're good. Uh, so you're anti-Benning. Do you want to leave it at that? You like yeah, yay or yeah, yay or nay, Benning this summer. Will he be in charge of the Vancouver Canucks this summer? We'll leave it at that. Like I said, like I said, if if the Canucks are still in this kind of trouble that they're in and they don't find a way to to improve the roster in some way or at least kind of clear some salary, then he's gone. Yeah, I think uh, the way it's going, I, I just can't see it. I mean, we're going to have to see at least some competitiveness or some moves that make sense for the future, or it doesn't really make sense to have him in charge of another iteration of the team. So this week we started talking about the Canadian Olympic team in 2022 for whatever reason. I don't know if it's because we're a year out. <laughs> But it became basically the biggest topic on social media other than the, fi the dumpster fire that is the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, so we thought that we'd do our own little spin on it. I mean, it's hard to present lists or complete rosters over podcast medium. Uh, so 
this is how we're going to do it. We know that Connor McDavid's going to be on the team. We know Nathan McKinnon's going to be on the Canadian team. We know Sidney Crosby. Oh, we assume Sidney Crosby's probably going to be the captain of the team. He might not be the most important player, but he's going to be there. Uh, and we probably assume that Carey Price is going to be there. So we kind of know the core of the team. I'd say maybe we know for sure about a third of it. Uh, we probably could pretty much pencil in another third. But then that last third is where all the debate comes in and, and players are going to have to perform for those spots, I think, in the coming uh, weeks and months uh, before the team is actually chosen by the Brain Trust, which was chosen this week. And I guess that's why we're talking about it, because Doug Armstrong was named the or officially named the general manager and Roberto Luongo got a spot on that executive brass, which is pretty cool as well. But I mentioned that last third. We're going to call that the bubble list. The players on the bubble, who's going to be included in that last third? And I think that's what we're, how we're going to approach this conversation. We're each going to provide five players from that bubble sort of area that we want to see make the team. We'll go one by one and trade uh, because I think we can debate each one or at least comment on each one. So I'll let mm -hmm. you kick it off. The first on your list of the bubble players that you want to see included on the 2022 men's Canadian Olympic roster. I, I also just want to say before I say this name, I'm, I'm very curious if we're just going to have some of the same names here. Uh, I I'm hope we do. Pretty sure, I'm pretty sure we will, but I'm, I'm we could sure... Have, we, we could yeah. have traded notes before this, but I thought the, you know, the uh, actually reacting would be a, a yeah. better way to do it. But if they're exact, yeah. we're probably going to be kicking ourselves after this. Okay, here's... Uh, I'm going to go from... I guess more sure to I'll, I'll keep my I don't think this person's a surprise, but I'll try to keep this one player at the end. You might mention him, but like I'm just going to keep this person okay. at the end because I just have my thoughts on this person. Thomas Shabbat is the first person I'm going to mention here. Uh, one for I've one. Seen we both have Shabbat. That's fair. Sorry but I also got, think that like that's fair. But I, I think that uh, in seeing some of the different mock teams that have been drawn up here, seeing some of the defensemen that are there, guys like Kale McCarr, a good young defenseman, obviously, who there's not too many players like him. I get why he's there. A, a solid veteran like Alex Petrangelo of being there, I understand. Shea Theodore mm -hmm. as well. There's a good mix of younger, older guys who have been thrown into these mock teams. And I haven't seen a lot of Thomas Shabbat. And I wonder how much of that has to do with the fact that he plays in Ottawa. He's a good, solid left defenseman who is like 24 years old. He should be about close to 25 next year in when they go play in 2022. I I'm of the belief that, you know, this is a guy. I mean, this is also a guy who's also played for Team Canada through obviously lower level events in the past. But he knows what it means to, to put the oh, yeah. maple leaf on his chest. and. I mean, that matters to that Team Canada brass. So I'm surprised that not more guys have thought about putting a Thomas Shabbat on this team. And I have him as kind of like one of my first guys on in my bubble. He's 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 right there for me. Yeah, I think Thomas Shabbat should be on the team for sure. You mentioned his, mentioned his experience with Hockey Canada. I mean, he was the best player, the guy for Canada, I believe, in the 2017 World Junior Championships. Might have been 2018. I think it was 2017. Uh, but anyway, he, he has been, he knows what it takes to be the guy or he knows how it feels to be the guy for Hockey Canada. Not necessarily, not saying he will be the guy in the 2022 Olympics. Um, but I feel like he could, he could perform on that stage because he's performed on the international stage in a big role before. Uh, but you mentioned people talk, not talking about him as much. I mean, I think there's an opening, I think, for sure, on the left side 
for Thomas Shabbat. I mean, Morgan Riley, Josh Morrissey, Mark Giordano, those are sort of the guys that they're talking about on the left side, maybe, you know, in the, in the, either in the second, third pair behind Shea Theodore, I think would probably be considered the number one guy on that left side. Uh, but I think Thomas Shabbat's a better player than Morgan Riley, Josh Morrissey, and Mark Giordano right now. Don't let mm-hmm. his bad team and the bad performance of his team, you know, cloud your judgment on this one. This is a very, very good player. And if he was playing for an elite team, he would be a star in this league, I think. I think Thomas Shabbat is clearly there for me. I think he should be the number five or six defenseman, or at least the defenseman on the left side of the third pairing. I think that makes the most sense. Okay, uh, so we you so, you kick off the next one just yeah. because we're we both have one on we both had Shabbat. Okay, um, I'm going to say uh, Jonathan Huberdeau is my next guy. This is a okay. guy who, um, at the early aughts of in the early parts of his career, uh, I know he was drafted very highly. I think the, the Florida Panthers were trying to figure out if he's center, winger, whatever. And, and it was just kind of like a weird transition thing for him. And it's only been in the last two, three years where he's truly unlocked his potential and he's turned himself into a bona fide goal scorer on this team. Not to mention that he has size as well. I think he's a guy who uh, Team Canada could easily fit in a, in a third or second line role. I mean, fourth line at this point, like who cares? If he's on the team, he's on the team. Uh, you can't... Uh, be without goal scorers at the Olympics. I think Jonathan Huberdeau should be on more of these teams lists. I understand there is the depth that wing that Canada possesses. I don't know how you overlook a guy like Jonathan Huberdeau who has size strength a bit quick and and also has just a knack for scoring goals. He should be there. Yeah, I I, I tend to agree with you. I didn't put him on my list. Um, I don't know if it's because I assume he'll be there or it just, it just didn't, you know, it it didn't come to mind in this format. Um, But I think it might be tough because I think he has to prove that he's one of the top three left wingers for this team. And what I think is going to happen with Canada is that a lot of centers are going to be pushed over to the wings. Yeah. So is he going to play on the top line with Connor McDavid? I doubt it. I think Brad Marchand's probably in that second line with Sidney Crosby and Patrice Bergeron. I think you just penciled them into that second line right there. Are you going to have more of a checking or or some sort of like uh, utility fourth line, perhaps? And would he fit in there? Maybe not. So I think he's going to have to beat out maybe a talented center, maybe a guy like John Tavares. I would probably go Huberto over Tavares right now just because, I mean, that's his natural and natural position. And I think he's just probably performing even better than Tavares maybe right now in the, at this point in his career. Um, but I, I think there might be only one spot for him and there's going to be guys like Taylor Hall also involved. So can he, fill, can he secure that third line left wing spot? I think he might be considered the front runner for it. Um, but I just don't think the opportunity to get in as is as big as, you know, other players centers that might be, uh, more easily transitioned to the wing. I mean, there's also that 13th, 14th forward world that Huberto could hold down. So I, I think it's probably more likely than not that he does make it, but, Playing high in the lineup, it, it it might not it might not all work out for him perfectly. As get I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, okay, I'll go to my next player, and it's probably your Huberto in terms of like probably belongs, but you know maybe not really on the bubble. But I'm going to include him anyway, and that's Ryan O'Reilly. Uh, Ooh, neglecting the use of Ryan O'Reilly, I think would be a massive bis- mistake by Team Canada. I think he makes it pretty clearly because Doug Armstrong's in charge, and he's Doug Armstrong's guy. Uh, but with him and Mark Stone on a fourth line, if you want to call it the fourth line, I think you're going to have two, two of the best defensive forwards in the game and a tandem that can shut down anyone 
any line in the tournament. And we're going to talk about how talented the USA is, how talented Russia is, how many good players and how many good lines are going to be. If you have Ryan O'Reilly and Mark Stone going head to head against them, you're in a really good spot and you have, you get to protect guys like Connor McDavid and Sidney Crosby and Braden point, who are going to be holding down the other three lines probably. Um, so I think Ryan O'Reilly's inclusion is pretty much set in stone. I think he's for sure going to be there, uh, but it would be a real mistake. I think if they decided not to choose him. Okay. That's a really good pick. And the next guy I'm going to mention uh, kind of carries those same attributes as well. And while I could totally see a situation where O'Reilly might get the better of this player, uh, I could totally see Team Canada also including this guy in their lineup. And, and that's Sean Couturier. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if, if Team Canada is trying to enter this tournament as balanced as they could be, where they have their scoring lines up top and some of the best scorers of the world, but also guys who can be solid, valuable defensive forwards. Sean Couturier is a guy who's obviously going to get looked at here. Obviously, you mentioned the potential tandem of of an O'Reilly and a Mark Stone working together. I think Couturier-Stone defensive pairing is well, not defensive pairing, but you know, just the duo of them together, that could also pre- be a pretty solid uh, tandem for Team Canada as well when it comes to defending some of the best players in the world. This guy who's garnered Selkie consideration in the past. It's a guy who I think is pretty much underrated when you look at Canadian forwards just period. So Sean Couturier is definitely someone who I think Team Canada will look at anyway. And I think I, I have no problem having him on my team either as a, a fourth line guy or even as a 13th forward. Uh, I think Sean Couturier is a good pick, a guy who could actually transition to the wing, could be there to, you know, if someone's kicked out of the draw, he's right there. Ryan O'Reilly, Sean Couturier, and Mark Stone as a fourth line seems like a defensive nightmare for anyone that they face. Um, but I do think it could be one or the other with O'Reilly and Couturier, so it's good that you mentioned him or brought him up. But again, I think, you know, if a center goes down, having him on the taxi squad or the 13th or 14th forward makes a lot of sense. Uh, but if it is O'Reilly or Couturier, I'm going to give the edge to O'Reilly because I do think he's a better player in this regard, but also because Armstrong's picking the team and, and that could be to Couturier's detriment. Um, I'll stick with the forwards and I'll stick with the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, I'm going to go with Travis Konechny as a guy mm. who should be included maybe in that 13th forward range, but I could also see him on that fourth line with O'Reilly and Mark Stone just to provide a little energy, a little enthusiasm, a little irritability in the lineup. And, and he's not just that. He's not just a guy who's a bit of a, a pest. He can play. He could be Brad Marchant light deeper in the lineup. Uh, I think he's a guy who could be plug and play. If there's an in- injury, he can move up and play really anywhere. He could do a lot of things for you. Uh, so I think Travis Konechny is an interesting pick. Certainly a guy who would be, at least on the outside, looking in to start the season. Has had a good start. He did get scratched for a game. I, I, it's Alan Vigneault, so we're just going to leave it at that. Um but I think Travis Konechny is an interesting uh, candidate for this team just because he adds a dynamic that not many players on this team are going to be able to provide. And he sort of breaks up this, you know, this uber talented lineup and just gives them a little bit of a different dimension and a guy who can do a lot of things. So plug and play Travis Konechny, he might be on my team. Okay, so number four for me. Uh, I know I think I've, I've mentioned a defenseman. I've mentioned two forwards. I'm going to mention a goaltender who it really depends on how I think Jordan Bennington plays over the next year or so. Maybe Carter mm-hmm. Hart, but I see him as a number two. But I think Mackenzie Blackwood deserves some consideration for the for Team Canada as well. Uh, a good young goalie. 
Yep. I figured we both had him in the lineup here, but I he's a good young goaltender. I know New Jersey's kind of going in a weird direction here, but uh, I, I also think he's someone who deserves some consideration. And I think if Jordan Bennington kind of slips here, I know he, he had the cup run that he had with the St. Louis Blues, but yeah. if Jordan Bennington kind of slips, Mackenzie Blackwood is the easy number three goaltender you put behind a Carey Price and a Carter Hart. I, 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 I think he's probably the top guy you look at for, for the goalie depth for Team Canada. Yeah, I mean, this is another interesting debate because it's all about the Doug Armstrong bias, right? Uh, yes. He obviously has that that relationship with Jordan Biddington. Jordan Biddington's won him a cup. And we're talking probably, or maybe even not, because Armstrong's faith in Biddington might be more than this. But we might be just talking about the third goaltender here. I don't, I don't think Mackenzie Blackwood is going to outplay or outperform or uh, get ahead, jump the line ahead of uh, Carey Price or Carter Hart. But... If you're going to choose that third goaltender, I see Armstrong leaning Bennington, but I see this as an investment into the future, your third goaltender. If you add Blackwood to this, and he he deserves it probably on merit. He's been incredible to start this year. He's only played a little bit, but he's definitely one of the better prospects in Hockey Canada in terms of the goaltending position. But if you sit him in the stands at this Olympic Games and let him watch Carey Price work, let him watch Carter Hart, who's going to be the guy he's going to be competing with for future national teams, uh... I think that gives him a leg up in 2026 when you're looking to shore up that position without Carey Price, likely. Uh, so I think that puts them in a really good position to take the future now with Carter Hart and Mackenzie Blackwood being the guys that we're going to see in the future for this team. Let them experience it right now. Let them see how Carey Price, Price approaches a tournament like this. Uh, I think that puts Hockey Canada in the best position moving forward. But because this is the Doug Armstrong show, I do think it'll be Jordan Bennington ultimately, but if it was my choice, I'd probably think about having that investment, putting Blackwood in the seats. So we're down to player number five. Uh, I feel like you probably have this guy. Um, okay, let's hear it. I, uh, Steven Stamkos. He needs to be on this team. Steven okay, Stamkos I don't, ha- I don't have Stamkos, but he might be on the team. But I, he's Here's not, the thing. He didn't, I didn't choose him. That's fair. Like I've seen a few people not include him, and I don't need to go in on details on why Steven Stamkos should be on this team. I'm just going to say that when you consider how his career has gone so far, when you consider the injuries that he suffered, at least the one that took him out of, of playing certain, like the 2014 Olympics, the 2010, yeah. I mean, fine. He was just a couple years into the league. You're, you're thinking I think he hey, wasn't chosen. Put him in. Yeah. He was I think he wasn't chosen in 2010 and then he responded yeah. the next year or that year by leading the, t- the leading goals or winning the rocket. Yeah. Chart, I think. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That first Olympics, he, he was not chosen. The other Olympics, the one after that, he was injured for it. Yeah. And and we all know about in 2018 with, with how it went with the NHL players. It's, I don't want to say it's criminal, but Steven Stamkos should have a gold medal around his neck by now. This is a guy yeah. who in any other situation should be on an Olympic team winning gold for Team Canada. I don't, is it, it's, I don't think it's controversial to say he might be the best Canadian player to have never played on an Olympic team. I don't know if it's that controversial to say he might be that person, but well, I don't think Connor, Connor McDavid. That's fair. Pretty well, that's yeah. fair. But Connor McDavid, different circumstances here. But mm-hmm. Steven Stamkos, I think uh, he won't be that old. He'll he'll be just fine to play. I think as long as he's healthy. Yeah. Steven Stamkos, don't put him on your bubble. Put him on your roster. Put him on a third line, fourth line, whatever. Steven Stamkos should be playing at the next Olympics. Yeah, that's it's hard to argue with you. I, I think the uh, the sentimental pick would certainly be Steven Stamkos, but he's not just a sentimental pick. As you mentioned, this guy can still play at a very high level, and he has had this really cursed 
oddly cursed career. Like right? he's won a Stanley Cup. He wasn't there to win it though. You know, he's he's been a part of great teams, been a part of world junior teams, been chosen to Olympic teams or would have been chosen to Olympic teams and didn't get the opportunity to play. He's it all just hasn't aligned for him perfectly in what's been a brilliant, brilliant career and one of the best careers, one of the best goal scoring careers we've seen in the last decade or so. Um, but it just hasn't lined up for him. And I fear that this isn't lining up for him either. But, you know, there are 14 forward positions. There are two players that are going to be in that mix for the or the taxi squad. Uh, I, I, I don't know if he's going to be there for sure. He certainly belongs. He would not be out of place. But when I put together a top six, top nine, I'm not sure he fits. And when I think about what the fourth line should be, I'm not sure he fits. But you could put him in that 13th or 14th role if there's an injury, if there's, uh, you know, poor performance, he could be there and he could immediately pick up the slack and contribute for any Olympic team. I think I want to see him there more than anything. Uh, and I think he ultimately will get there. I didn't choose him for this list just because I thought, you know, maybe he's maybe he's just going to be there. Um, maybe he's not that, you know, surprising. Um, but, you know, I'm pulling for I'm always pulling for Steven Samkos. He's just one of those guys that you have to pull for. And it'd be nice to see him cut that opportunity. Uh, but my fifth guy, we'll round it out with my fifth guy. I picked Jared Spurgeon, a Minnesota Wild defender. Interesting. I think he's one of the most underweighted players in the league, and I think he would be the perfect, you know, bottom pairing guy on the right side, or even the guy who could step in uh, if there is an injury or so on and so forth. Uh, but we're talking about the right side of the defense. I think Petrangelo and McCarr are there for sure. So Spurgeon would be competing, I guess, with Shea Weber for maybe that sixth role. Uh, Interesting. You say Shea Weber. I. I you know, I I don't really see, I actually don't see a scenario where Shea Weber doesn't make this team. I just feel like he's like a layup pick for Hockey Canada. He's like the guy that they figure needs to be on this team, uh, and he couldn't be any different than Jared Spurgeon. You know, if you look at them, the way they play, their styles, etc. Um, but I think there's reason to believe that Jared Spurgeon could outperform Shea Weber in that spot. But I I just I do see you know, hockey Canada leaning in the Shea Weber direction just because of, you know, their makeup and, and their, their, their belief that they need someone like that. Um, but I don't think that means Jared Spurgeon shouldn't make the team. I think he could be the guy that is your seventh D and could plug and play. If there is an injury, he's the guy who could step up and allow you to not miss a beat. So, uh, he's my guy on the right side, whether it's the third or fourth guy competing with Shea Weber and behind Petrangelo and Makar, uh, I think that gives you a really solid defense core if Spurgeon's the guy that's going to be coming in and out of the lineup if needed. I'll, I'll say this about Shea Weber. Uh, I, perfect sense, obviously. I actually, funny enough, uh, in my first kind of draft of of players to put, I put Shea Weber in thinking he'd be a bubble guy. And then I immediately realized, no, this is a guy who's played at the Olympics before. This is a guy who's revered by plenty of people in the hockey Canada organization because of his leadership, because of how tough he is and just how intimidating he is. Just having Carey Price in the net and having Shea Weber just near the net, like no team is going to take a run on Carey Price or any other goalie that's in the net when Shea Weber is there. So I thought like, mm -hmm. okay, well, that probably makes sense that he'll just be looked at. I guess the only thing that kind of goes against Shea Weber here is, is his age and health. And maybe that might not be as much of a factor in 2022. Who knows? But uh, I, that's why I felt it was just really interesting because I uh, there was an earlier version of this that had Shea Weber. And then I realized, I came to the same realiz realization as you did, that Team Canada will probably have them in their lineup anyway. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I can't unless there's a real uh, fall from grace from him in the next, you know, twelve months or so in terms of his performance. Uh, I I can't see in a scenario in which he's not there, uh, just because he's he just screams Hockey Canada. Shea Weber screams it. So uh, he's he's in my team. I think he'd be in my team anyway. I think mm-hmm. we could probably put together a seven D right now with Theodore Petrangelo, Makar, uh, maybe Riley Shabbat, and Spurgeon and Weber, and we'd be pretty pretty set with that maybe that sounds yeah. pretty good it sounds good for a canadian lineup uh i'm not going to list everyone because that's terrible in a podcast format um <laughs> but we agree on thomas shabbat we agree on Mackenzie blackwood and we probably think o'reilly ryan o'reilly and sean couturier belong into that mix in that bottom five forward position uh there'll be plenty more to talk about with the canadian olympic team and all the other teams uh but i feel like um that's where the decisions are going to have to be made. Sort of what we talked about, those depth positions on defense, that third goaltender, and what's going to happen in that bottom four, fourth line and taxi squad mix. So that's our contribution to the uh, discussion around the Canadian Olympic team, which just happened to pop up just because, you know, sometimes you just need content. It's all about the content. All about the tent, Julian. <laughs> I like that. All about the tent. I'll think about that. I'll use that. Also, I just want to add something here. Early on, I was trying to remember the team that because of all of the different postponements of games was is slated to play the St. Louis Blues like five or six consecutive times. It's the Arizona Coyotes. I don't know why I thought it was Minnesota. There was a game, I think, for Arizona that was supposed to go against Minnesota that might have been postponed, but it's the Coyotes who were supposed to play the St. Louis Blues like six consecutive times. I was going to throw out the Vegas Golden Knights, but I didn't want to be wrong, so I'm glad I did. <laughs> but that if six, six consecutive between Vegas and St. Louis, I mean... It, I was going to say it'd be like a postseason series, but That'd it, would be a be series. Exactly, it would be exactly like a postseason series. So uh, that would be just be me stating the obvious. Uh, I mentioned Super Bowl off the top. I guess we should probably leave our listeners with a prediction so they can listen Monday morning and find out how stupid we are, or how, how much we should stay in our lane, which is obviously hockey. I'm going to let you take the floor. Chiefs and Bucks, you know, it's, it's the spectacle of the year. Who do you got? Patrick Mahomes, he's winning the Super Bowl. And as I know, the offensive line is is it's kind of like a, a bit of a patchwork job for them right now with some of the guys they're missing, but it's still Patrick Mahomes. And I know Tom Brady's on the other side, but the Tom Brady that we've seen in through these playoffs, he's still a guy who's he's playing like a 43-year-old at different points. He has the weapons, but Patrick Mahomes on the other side, I can't go against that guy. I have Kansas City winning this game. I do too. I mean, if Patrick Patrick Mahomes is probably never going to get into the Tom Brady. I mean, we're talking about a tenth Super Bowl for Tom Brady. Like that's just ridiculous. Uh, it seems like every time we watch the Super Bowl, Tom Brady's in it, which is kind of exasperating. But it's kind of. I mean, it's obviously incredibly impressive that he's been able to do this. But I think if Patrick Mahomes is going to dig into that legend or that legacy that Tom Brady has and carve out his own in the same regard, he's got to have to win this game because we're it was is it going to be the MJ versus LeBron debate where Tom Brady gets there every year but doesn't win every time and then MJ gets there, you know, maybe half the time right. he's the one that wins every time. I could see that scenario happen happening where Patrick Mahomes when he gets there, he wins it and that's going to happen again tonight. Uh I got the Chiefs to win by 7, so they're going to cover the spread as well. Uh, it's going to be a really good game, I think. I think they're going to. It's going to be you know reminiscent of last year where they have to come back in the fourth quarter, third quarter, yeah, uh, second half comeback led by Patrick Mahomes, another MVP, and we start talking about a new legacy, and that's of 
Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I think that'll be pretty cool to see that happen. And obviously, uh, pretty pretty cool to see Tom Brady just, you know, be involved in another Super Bowl, despite how sort of annoying it is, how perfect he is. That chin line, the hair, everything about him. Just You jealous of this man? How could you not be? I mean, I guess, yeah, right? Like, pretty it's, good. It's kind of like you have to be so sure of yourself to not be a little jealous of Tom Brady. No? I, 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 I mean, like, I think my lifestyle, I'm not Tom Brady. But like, no. I mean, I don't well, think I've ever, I've never felt jealous of that man. I don't know. It's just like, like okay, all right. I think he's great. I think he's amazing. Would I? Okay, when you I, when you watch know. the Super Bowl, when you watch the Super Bowl tonight, just think about think. I know you said you haven't thought about how you might be jealous of Tom, but just watch Tom and think. It's probably probably a pretty good life. That could be me. <laughs> <laughs> that could be me. That could be you. Well, maybe. Well, I don't know if it could be you. You'd need like. You need an arm. Do you have an arm? I have one in name only. It's not capable of throwing the ball with pinpoint accuracy? Yeah, no way. No chance. I can't okay, do so you're gonna, you're gonna have to find another way to get uh the Tom Brady prestige, but you might you might have the avenue for it with all these gigs, man. You might have a Tom Brady trajectory in your future, and we're all pulling for you to do that. I think you got I, you just gotta you gotta not rely on your arm, rely on that head of yours and and you'll get there without any uh, Justin. resistance. Thank you so much for 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 bringing up the part of our show where we start, you know, praising each other and start, you know, you know, complimenting each other. Because I, I think I see a bright future for you too, man. You're, you're you're killing it every week with the content. The problem is, I'm almost as old as Tom Brady, and I don't have that legacy no. yet. So we'll leave it at that, no. Julian McKenzie. <laughs> not quite, not quite. But we're getting there. It's with every. With, I get older with every Tom Brady Super Bowl appearance. Every, Jesus, every time. Okay, let's leave it at that. It's uh, That's the Sunday edition of the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast. Super Bowl Sunday edition is now in the books. Uh, and we'll leave it there. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.